Hello, courageous friends. Today is the 24th of November. It is the day before Thanksgiving here in the United States, and it is a wonderful week to uh, give thanks for God's many gifts to us. Uh, thank you for listening today. Today, we have an interview uh, with a friend of Nancy's, and um, he's from Colorado. So, He's up here to visit with family, and Nancy, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lauren and... Oh, my. <laughs> oh, I'm so this excited is, to I'm have you here. i this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here with us, Lauren. Thank you for doing this podcast. Um, Lauren and I met, went to the same high school, Lancaster Mennonite, and like our last interview was with Mike King, we all were at Lancaster Mennonite together, and all three of us we're in the singing group Four Lears. All three of us traveled four months yes. in two vans, driving down through Central America and back again. And Lauren and I were really good friends in high school. Mm -hmm. However, since then, I think we've seen each other maybe twice. And one, mm -hmm. the most recent would have been 20 years. Wow. So when I knew he was coming in, uh, we were having a little Corlear reunion also. Um, and Lauren has been a pastor for a number of years. And we have interviewed pastors because we feel that they have many experiences in dealing with this changing seasons of life mm -hmm. and people facing end of this life and moving into eternity. And they have a good eternal perspective. So... We're thrilled to have you here. Welcome, Lauren Martin, to A Life That Lasts. Thank you, Nancy. Um, it's good to see you again. And uh, uh, yeah, it's good to be here back in back in my home state. Yes. Yeah. Nothing like home. Nothing like home. <laughs> so you grew up here and then uh, life took you out to Colorado? Yeah, I grew up in uh, a very small town, Terry Hill. And... Um, as part of my family's tradition, went to went to uh, Lancaster Mennonite High School, and um, not long after that, um, began sort of a different trajectory than the rest of my family. I, I wanted to go to college, mm -hmm. and my the rest of my family um, headed right off to work. Uh, so that began to take me further and further away. Eventually, landing in a college in um, the, the suburbs of Denver. And then falling in love um, with Colorado or another person. Yes, the falling in love. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, uh, both happen, not not necessarily simultaneously, but but my wife won't like this. But yes, my first love was Colorado, uh -huh. and then uh, and then drug her uh, out there also. Basically, uh, came back came back to Pennsylvania when I was beginning some graduate studies work. Uh -huh. um, that sort of came to an uh, incomplete end. And then I moved, Kim, uh, Kim and I by that time were then married. Okay. And we ended up uh, in 1992 moving to Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Okay. As, and I, would be mo I was moving there to be the pastor of the Glenwood Mennonite Church. Okay, yeah. So, uh, did you meet your wife in Colorado, or you met her here? She was. A, I I actually met her in Virginia. She was okay. a, a she, she was a student at what was then called Eastern Mennonite School, 
No, college. East, East Mennonite College. Back yeah. East then. Mennonite College back then. <laughs> And she was a nursing student, so okay. I met her there on the mm -hmm. campus. Um, her older, Kim's older sister happened to be the one to introduce us, not <laughs> wow. not to date, but just, yeah. Yeah. just introduced us. And so um, eventually I did get to know Kim better than she and I both met in Indiana. Okay. Then she came back to Virginia to finish school. And I moved to Colorado the first time. I've, okay. I've moved to Colorado several times in my life. I got you. I got you. So now in Colorado, you are working as a chaplain. Do I understand that correctly? I, I am a chaplain. I'm a, uh, the, the hospital calls me their spiritual care coordinator. Mm -hmm. I also work as a hospital chaplain. And do you find that... Um, when you're working as a chaplain, uh, I would suppose that sometimes the news is difficult and sometimes the news... Is there ever a situation in which the news is good or is it pretty much most of the time when you're called to the room, you're there because things are not going well? I, I would say that unfortunately, majority of the time, a vast majority of the time, that I have a referral to a room by a provider, a doctor, it is because of the bad news he or she just delivered. Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally, um, occasionally I will accompany the doctor to the room for for that conversation, mm -hmm. um, but 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 often it is the case that I will go in afterwards um, and and. Just begin to be, begin to sort of create the space in which they will begin processing what they just learned. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to get to know two chaplains through the Cancer Institute, where I'm a patient, and um, the current one also graduated from Lancaster Mennonite School um, a little after us, Lauren. But um, it's such a I think it must be such a gratifying but heart-wrenching job, but they have provided, in all of my journey, at different stages, they've provided that listening ear, that comfort um, that I need. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's mm -hmm. an awesome mm -hmm. job. The, the role of, of board-certified clinical chaplains, board-certified chaplains, their role within the clinical team is becoming more and more recognized, more and more accepted. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is a there is a growing awareness, as well as mandates from government entities, that one's emotional support be provided for, that one's um, spiritual, religious mm -hmm. traditions be be. Um, what's the word be, be met mm -hmm. if, if possible and and recognizing that the word health has so many facets to it that mm -hmm. one's uh, spiritual health one's physical health one's relational health one's own mental health um, all of those things contribute to to 
the path forward for healing. I mean, that's that's sometimes the only healing available is is the is the mental health or the mm-hmm. the spiritual health mm-hmm. uh, when when physical health is no longer mm-hmm. when there's no longer a cure mm-hmm. or or treatment then then it's mm-hmm. the only thing that's left. So Lauren, when you describe that goal of coming into the room and trying to create an environment in which they can process and be able to get to that emotional health, um, what does that look like? And I ask this. Uh, Partially because I'm sure there are folks that are listening that know someone or will know someone who comes to a place place. where they're facing a a difficult part of their journey. How How can we as friends, caregivers, for you as a chaplain, what what have you found helps to create an environment for processing that? You know, I think I think the for, the first thing that I would need to say is simply that that even though I'm a chaplain in that role of being asked, um, having the assumption that I have some training, having that assumption that I may be good at this, it's also the awareness that I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what that person is experiencing. Mm-hmm. Even if I was diagnosed with the exact same cancer, mm-hmm. even if I had the same symptoms, even if I had identical matching criteria of whatever, I still don't know what they are going through. So I would never... Uh, I'll tell you what I do do. I go in, I introduce myself, and I give them an out right away. If they don't want to talk to me right now, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be clear, I am here because Dr. So-and-so asked me to come in. Mm -hmm. Doctor did let me know that you just got some bad news. And they asked that maybe I can be here as a presence of support for you right now. Mm -hmm. And and if you don't want to talk to me, I'll be very happy to leave. You Mm -hmm. you are under no obligation Mm -hmm. to begin processing right now. But I might go ahead and say, if you do want to process that, do you have safe people to talk to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they will They will say, can we come back? Can we talk tomorrow? Yeah. I, I just I just want to be alone right now. Right. Uh, but can you come back tomorrow? Um, so we'll, we'll do that again. Yeah. And, and then begin to process uh, what this might feel like for them, um, you know. In the back of my mind, I'm doing some assessment. Sure. I'm listening. I have all my radar going on uh, visually. Um, you know, it's what whatever that person. I'm trying to pick up. I'm trying to listen with all the abilities that I have mm-hmm. of what that person might be experiencing. Mm-hmm. You said two things that really struck me, Lauren. The first is that you, even in the same situation, you would not know what they are truly feeling. And in, well, not just in a health journey, but in so many ways, it's an individual thing. Like, um, no one knows what I'm struggling with. No one knows what you are. Um, So someone can't come to me and say, I know just how you feel. No. They will say that. Oh, I know. There's a lot of... (laughs) Stupid things said, <laughs> yes, with we, the intention of support and caring, but so it's still on. We so need I, to remember the yes. intention. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and 
of um, approaching that person and asking them questions. I'm reminded of the most beautiful question that was asked of me that I can recall was my former supervisor, Jamie. Mm -hmm. He was hired to take my place because I was stepping down somewhat because of the diagnosis. And so he was taking my place. He was becoming my supervisor. I knew him from years before. He came into my office that very first day, knelt down in front of me and said, Nancy, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And um, I'll never forget that. Yeah. That was just such yeah. a servant, yeah. um, servant's heart and caring. Mm. It was just what yeah. I think a lot of people going through transition need to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So to summarize some of the things I heard, I'm going to reflect this back and tell me if I heard correctly in some of these things, some of the takeaways that people could consider. So one of the things you said, Lauren, was you give them an out. In other words, if you don't want to talk right now. No judgment. <laughs> there's no judgment. Um, yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, that's very important, I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think it's sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And that applies to all relationships. <sighs> Not just chaplain to... It's good parenting skill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe. Sometimes. And, sometimes. And a parent of older kids, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, that's... You're exactly right. That's... Um, it, it's relevant not only in chaplain to, uh, you know, hospital patient situation, but it could yeah. be relevant in a lot of different situations, is come in with that... Um, humility to say this isn't about me this is about what's going to help you process mm -hmm. and if right now conversation I, isn't the best way and I, I ultimately I would like to be I, I would like for that person to have someone to talk to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is very helpful that that you will have someone to process with if, oh, if you so choose to do that so at getting a diagnosis is a is a is a profound reminder that we are not in as much control of our bodies as we would like to think. Yeah. Yeah. For so our whole if, lives. <laughs> yeah. Understood. So if I can do anything to restore a tiny mm -hmm. bit of control mm -hmm. to that That's person's good. experience today, right now. Mm -hmm. So yes, maybe life their body slash life has dealt them a blow, but I will, I will, because of my presence, I will say, you know what, you're still in control of kicking me out or asking me, thanks, mm. but no thanks, I'm okay, or yes, will you please come back tomorrow? And it did, wow. you know what, it just honors, it honors the human spirit that mm. is still alive and well. Mm -hmm. And we like to make our choices. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a tiny little That's, way of, of honoring great. the individual, yeah. which yeah. is what I'm trying to do. But that is so powerful because I think of um, even when you say that, when you talk about this being relevant to all kinds of situations. So I have um, a loved one who has dealt with some addiction issues. And one of the things that surprised me was when he, he went into a recovery house, one of the things they empowered him with is, was the ability to make decisions about who could see him and who couldn't. And that, at first it surprised me 
And then I discovered how beneficial that was to just give him some sense of, hey, I get to make some decisions here. Right. I, I'm not stuck. Right. Um, so that's, right. wow, that's powerful. There's strategic, so, there's strategy in that because addiction does remove one's sense of power over their mm-hmm. own choices. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a practicing, a re, relearning the ability to make decisions and choices. Yeah, that's great. Good. And then the other thing I heard was as you're giving them that out and helping, helping, uh, you know, saying we don't have to talk right now. But one of the things I heard you say is you're trying to help them identify who they can talk to. And you mentioned the phrase safe people. Now, can you expound on that a little bit? If we want to be a safe person. Now, obviously, that means we're coming in in this way that we, we allow, um, you know, we don't have to talk. But how, w- how would you help us identify, are we safe people? Who are safe people that, that can, be, yeah. can help somebody go through difficult times like that? I've never, I've never defined that before. I know what it... It's one of those things that's hard to define, but I know it when I see it. Right, right. Um, and maybe you know what it's not. <laughs> and, and I think I think we all know what it's not. A safe person is someone who who won't try to come in and and you know it's it's someone who doesn't say, "Oh, you're going to be fine. You're going right. to be okay." Right. Uh, it's someone who knows how to listen even if what they are hearing triggers them. Mm-hmm. A safe person is someone who has the capacity, if Nancy tells me about cancer, and it reminds me of a, an open wound in my life, mm-hmm. I don't say, but wait, wait, let me tell you when I... Right. <laughs> blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, so you can, you, a safe person would be someone who can say, ah, that's triggering me, but I'm going to think about that mm-hmm. tonight mm-hmm. and still keep mm-hmm. your ears and, and yeah. listening. Uh, a safe person is someone who doesn't try to impose their religion. Mm-hmm. So you have to or, understand. Or their mir- miracle cures. Or their miracle cures. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah. a trigger in me. <laughs> that you don't impose, you don't impose what you think works for you mm-hmm. or what you have heard works for somebody else onto this situation. Mm-hmm. You honor by listening, hopefully mm-hmm. without judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I have judgments, I just sort of note them, you know, but then put them away. Um, but but you, don't, you don't bring that into the conversation. Um, what else? Yeah, it's a good place to start. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and I also heard you mention listening being good at listening and looking. When you're in the room, you're, you're seeking to, I, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but you, it was basically saying you're listening with everything that you have to be able to, which means we're not just listening with our ears, but we're observing right. Right. body language right. and those kinds you, of things. You, you note body language. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a gift. Uh, maybe it is, you know, some... If a police, if, if my daughter went missing mm-hmm. and the policeman would ask me, what is she wearing today? I would have no idea. I mm-hmm. don't pay attention to those sorts right. of things. Right. But I would be able to tell you that she was in a good mood or she was in a bad mood. 
she was she was singing this song or you know whatever mm -hmm. so I I pay attention to the emotional realm mm -hmm. in the room mm -hmm. I have radar that seems to pick up mm -hmm. the sense of of whether someone is is happy or or or, or not um, if they're if they're more or less at peace or not um, so those things I think mm -hmm. are very important in the room yeah. Yeah. Um, to juice uh, I guess it's, it's just simply called, we call it situational awareness, mm -hmm. you know, of what is going on. And then there's a few cues of, of body language, mm -hmm. obviously, will be, yeah. be good. And if there's another person in the room, if there's if there's a spouse or if there's a child or, or you know, somebody in the room, to, to try to pick up what's the dynamic here. Right. Um, right. Is this a welcome presence or is this somebody that, you know, you know sometimes I ask the patient, would you like me to have that person mm -hmm. leave so that you and mm -hmm. I can be private yeah yeah and they might say yes please I would like to be private mm -hmm. you know? um, and they say I really don't have anything to say I just need that person to, to walk away for a sure you know? yeah Things yeah like that. need that little um, space. Need some space required yeah yeah and a safe person I guess the last thing I would say this a safe person is comfortable with silence mm-hmm mm -hmm. and 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 listening to whatever the voice of silence is because um, that that can be so big you know whether it's a comforting silence or whether it's a i don't even know what to talk about yet silence sure yeah yeah that's good i would like to circle back on the one thing you said because i think that maybe some people listening might go all all over the place. I, I'm sure I have been all over the place. <laughs> with, with with and and that's the um, not imposing religion. Oh, and and I know that I would. So tell me first of all, would you consider yourself a religious person? And the reason I ask that, let me tell you why. Because I would wonder. I think you're saying something uh, profound here. I think there's a difference between being a religious person and imposing religion. Or, or are you saying that, that a good, safe person isn't a religious person? Personal. There's more than one question there. Um, <laughs> I know there's, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, there's a big difference between being a pastor and a chaplain. Uh -huh. I'm sure. And and for some, for many for many people, religion is not a safe place. Mm -hmm. And it is a place where to use a word that I used to I used to do this for twenty years. Now I somewhat use this word negatively. There is much preaching as if I know best. Mm -hmm. And if you only would understand and follow me, then you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and I, I, I definitely, I, I have strong feelings now about that. I do not know that I would consider myself to be a religious person. Mm-hmm. I have faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I aspire to a spiritual life that closely associates me with the life and the actions and the teachings mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
That being said, there are many unfortunate and perhaps ill-planned behaviors that lead to many dead ends when, when you assume that your experience, your answers, your point of view, your perspective, your whatever is the solution for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we don't do that. Chaplains mm -hmm. will follow the patient wherever they want to go. We will follow that patient's pain. We'll follow mm -hmm. their sense of distress. We will follow their sense of questions. We'll follow their sense of hopelessness or, or whatever it is that they mm -hmm. want to talk about without turning that around with a yes, but answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Um, now, personally, I am completely tracking with what you're saying. I'm asking questions from an audience perspective yes. because I am sure that there would be some people that would be listening to say, well, wait a minute, what about truth? Isn't there a time when a person needs to hear the truth about whatever, you know, and how do we help lead them to truth? So is there, uh, you said there's a big difference between being a pastor and being a chaplain. C could you help people that might be listening that are tempted when they're in a situation and someone is grieving or they're just first processing a loss? Um, you have you mentioned that you have recognized over the years how that needs to be approached in different ways, if I'm hearing you correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when is the time, and is there an appropriate time, when you would go from following to leading? In, in a relationship. I'm not saying mm -hmm. in the few moments when you first walk in a room. Mm -hmm. there, there may come a time when the patient asks me what I believe. Mm -hmm. That would be an appropriate time to say mm -hmm. what I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm just answering what I believe. Sure. Or where I yeah. find peace. Yeah. And um, there, there, there have been, you know, in having done this almost um, 12 plus 7 is 19, in doing this almost 19 years, um, there's, there's very few times that a person has asked me to basically tell me the Christian story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of, of faith and life and hope and sin mm -hmm. and salvation and redemption. There have been very, very few times that that has happened. Um, I, we, we chaplains always follow. And if we believe that, if we believe that something more needs to be said, that's completely on the patient to, to do that asking. It is never appropriate for me to lead the patient where mm -hmm. I want them to go. That is, that is one of the big differences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if it is my experience that if I am 100% comfortable with talking about my faith, mm -hmm. If I set the environment, if I can create a safe place 
by by saying this is what I believe. Here are some of the things that I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Here are some of the here are some of my questions. Here's something I want to ask God someday. Here's mm-hmm. something I don't like about my faith tradition. Mm-hmm. Here's where I even make fun of my own faith tradition. Mm-hmm. If I can create a very safe place, they're going to lead to wherever they need to go. Mm-hmm. And then and then I'm part of that conversation and I can respond honestly and clearly. Yeah. But I it is very important that I do not lead like a therapist cannot lead the counselor, you know, the the person they're counseling. I I do not want to lead the patient where I think they need to go. That's imposing. Mm-hmm. So I would draw that line. Yeah, yeah. How what what would be the length of time that you would, or what's the longest relationship you've had with with uh, interacting with a patient? So it's different in different parts of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So Valley View Hospital, where I work, is a very small hospital. And um, for being a small hospital, it has many units within mm-hmm. the hospital. We have a cancer care unit. We have emergency department. We have acute care. We have surgery. We have critical care. Mm-hmm. My longest associations are always in the cancer center. That's mm-hmm. where I build my relationships. Sure. Mm-hmm. Other times I might be in and out within 15 minutes and never see that person mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Um, so when you get the opportunity to build relationship, which is based upon multiple repeated times that you are sitting with a person who is receiving treatment, mm-hmm. that's where you build the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that can go on for years. Yeah. It goes on. Yeah. Whatever that person is here in in, mm-hmm. in treatment, mm-hmm. and do you find that that it's those longer term relationships that are more often <laughs> the ones where someone might ask you to share your perspective on sure. things, or yeah. not? Yeah, it's 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 generally the well. It's tempting to say yes, but th- there may be other times mm-hmm. where where a person will. Um, where a person will ask me what 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 is meaningful to me in my faith journey. Yeah. Um, so while I enter the room with with the with the goal of offering support, and, sure. and while I'm doing that, I'm assessing. Mm-hmm. It is also true that they are assessing me. Mm-hmm. Do I want to spend any time with this person? Right. <laughs> what is this person going to tell me? Right. What is this? Is, I and many patients will have the attitude if they've come into the room to tell me that I need to repent of XYZ, mm-hmm. I'm gonna kick their yeah. out of the room right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um because there you know there there have been negative examples mm-hmm. of, of of the the abuse of power of of, mm-hmm. of the abuse of spirituality or religion. Yeah. Um but if I come in as a real person, mm-hmm. my opinion of what a real person mm-hmm. looks like, if I come in with giving, trying to let them know that, hey, they're in charge whenever mm-hmm. they're done with me, right. I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is about them, it's not about me. I, I, you know, that's, that's when some of the interesting questions happen and, and conversations begin to, to get pretty personal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you describe that, um, what comes to my mind is uh, 
the one that you said that you follow, Jesus. Because it is quite ironic, the difference between the way that, um, say, the Pharisees and the religious leaders would approach someone who mm -hmm. was hurting compared to the way that Jesus would approach someone. And one was, you know, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Let's stone you. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Right, yeah. And yet he said, go and sin no, no more. I mean, it was, I want to take you to a new level yes. of, of who you're called to be. And yes, Jesus approached people. Um, I'm always fascinated that his most, at least... I haven't actually counted them, but just from reading the Gospels, what has surprised me the most was how often Jesus asked people, what would you like me to do for you? I think the most wonderful thing, whether you're a chaplain, pastor, person, neighbor, if you ask a question, mm -hmm. how are you doing today? Is there, is there any way I can be of support? Mm -hmm. Just like Jamie's question yes. to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. How can I help? What and, can I and do? And again, for you? it returns that person to the 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 place of saying, you know, I, I I get to make a choice here. Mm. Yeah. I, I can I can I can welcome you and say yes. I I really would like someone to sit with me. I don't want to be alone right now. Will mm -hmm. you just sit with me? Yeah. So there have been times that I have just sat. Mm-hmm with no conversation, at least no out loud conversation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So as we wrap up this time, I, I, the, the one question I always like to ask people, especially those who have had the courage to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with people, those that have had mm -hmm. the courage to have those difficult conversations. Uh, the question that I often think about myself is, now what about me? <laughs> how wh how has these experiences, uh, Lauren, affected you in your own journey um, in preparing for that day that you might be in the hospital bed and a chaplain's coming in <laughs> to, to talk mm -hmm. to you? Mm -hmm. Are there anything, is there anything that people can do to at least somewhat get prepared for that? I know that there's... The future is so unknown, we can't prepare for all options and, and all of that. But are there any particular characteristics or things that you would recommend or you're even trying to work on in your own life to make sure that you are as prepared as possible for, for those mm -hmm. kinds of challenging situations? Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's, that's a very, I, I, I find that to be a very difficult question to to know how to answer. Um, it's tempting to say no. It's tempting to say, I will never be prepared for that. Um, because you don't know in what way, shape, or form it will be happening. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I suppose we all aspire to live a relatively full life, relatively healthy, and then one night just die in our sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I have been so arrogant for much of my life to believe that, well, 
my choices, my path, my health, my whatever, I will avoid a situation in which I end up with a certain diagnosis. Mm -hmm. My work with palliative care in the hospital, my work getting to be present with those who have received a a diagnosis or have multiple diagnoses of of diseases that we the medical field does not have any treatment or cure for mm -hmm. and they will they will die generally earlier than rather than later because of this my work with that group has taught me that I, I don't carry anything magic I I, mm -hmm. I may end right. up having a premature life I may end up having my few, a few final experiences in great pain, mm -hmm. in a place I don't want to be, in a situation that is very confusing, and and I would seek to be out of that situation. Um, so how does one prepare for that? I, I I suppose there's as many answers as there are individuals, but um, to live as full a life today as I can mm -hmm. to not delay if, if there is an if there is a goal or a plan or a dream that I have mm -hmm. to, to spend some time moving toward that to implementing that mm -hmm. is, is a great way to if it's a great way to live mm -hmm. I think it'll be a great way to also then die mm -hmm. that I will have lived as comp as complete and as full a life as is possible mm -hmm. um, I've also seen some folks, I've also seen, I, I've had the, un, the unfortunate opportunity to be with some elderly clergy mm -hmm. at the end of their life. Mm -hmm. And I must tell you that I am not a fan of what I have seen in these few cases. Mm -hmm. These are individuals who have spent their entire life preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that at the end of life, they were scared and angry. Mm -hmm. And I, it, having been a preacher myself, mm -hmm. I've had to turn that inward and say, mm -hmm. how prepared am I for mm -hmm. my end of life? Mm -hmm. And so I come away with the sense of, you know, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I don't know that having spent one's life in ministry prepares you for death any more than anyone else who has paid attention to that or not. Mm -hmm. um, so apparently a title, no matter what the title is, isn't enough. Is not enough. I think what you said about the arrogance, I mean, we all, we know we're going to die, but we think it'll be in our own terms and what we have envisioned out there, whether consciously or unconsciously. But when you're faced with it, it's, it, it becomes a different reality. Mm -hmm. yes. And if you haven't dealt with, that's the whole point of this podcast, yeah. is talking about preparing yeah. for that transition. Because it will happen. Mm -hmm. And when you live with a diagnosis, you're much more aware of that. Yes. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I feel sorry for myself, I think, everybody's going to die. Right. Mm -hmm. But at least me. you've had the opportunity to
to perhaps examine your fears about dying. I've been and given most of us, six wonderful years to do that, yes. And most of us will delay that as long as possible. And that's what we are trying to mm-hmm. encourage people right. to face yeah. that. Right. Have those brave conversations right. with yourself, with God, with others, your family, right. so that you don't struggle with that anger at the end. Right. And you've right. worked through... Yeah. Some of those emotions. Exploring some of your fears, yeah. seeing where they go, and then, you know, when you think you get to the bottom of that, have sort of a plan. So now that I'm in this place, what's my next step? Um, to accept those fears, to to maybe 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 rediscover grace. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Maybe decide that 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 there's nothing left but grace mm-hmm. and to make that choice for today. Um, yeah I don't know it's a really hard question Um, I suppose I spend even with even with my intentions I suppose that I spend most of my time not planning for my death Mm -hmm. Um, that's typical well if we spent if we spent all day, every day, planning for our death, <laughs> we wouldn't in, be in one sense, it, it's sort of like, you know, um, uh, spending all of our time only focused on the worst case scenario, not the best case scenarios, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that I was struck with when I started writing my book about death was I was struck, I was spending time with my 90-year-old grandmother and I was 45 and what I also had to recognize was I could live another 45 years. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have to live with the tension of mm-hmm. I, I could potentially have much life ahead of me. Let me be as prepared as possible for that. But at the same time, I might only have 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Right. So I need to be prepared for that. So living with that tension. tension. Yeah. 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 It's sure. living in that between those two polars. Mm-hmm. Uh, polar opposite uh, forces, and then that's what that's where we live the creative life that we live, hopefully yeah. faithful life that we live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, so there, there, there's a monastery near where I live, and I I like to go worship with the monks. And it used to be the case this gentleman, this monk has died, but he would sit in the back, farthest corner of the space in which we would meet to worship. And during the time of open prayer, he would always say this prayer. I pray for all those who would die today. Hmm. That was the only thing he said, and he said it at every worship service. And I've spent many times there thinking that he was an odd, strange, (laughs) old man Uh who who deserved to be a monk because he was so weird. (laughs) And now I want to be like him in my daily life. That I want a moment in my day where I make peace with my death if it happens today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest of the day goes on. Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. That is, that's a great place to end. I thank you, Lauren, for sharing. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for being here. Absolutely, today. it's good to be here.
That's our show for today. Blessings to you and to those you love. We're glad you have been listening to us talk about living a life that lasts. Now it's your turn. Courageously, sacrificially, live this week in such a way that your life will be a life that lasts.